AT, we're finally back. We're finally back on the podcast. We're back now. Of course, you can see our faces. Uh, but here's the deal, AT. Sisu Mouthguards witness Evolution, the official mouthguard of U.S. Lacrosse and Team USA. And they are also a proud sponsor of Guess Who? In your face? Yes! Yeah. <laughs> yes. They are a proud sponsor of In Your Face, LaxCast, and whatever we want to now call this, because now we're on, uh, I guess, uh, you can see our faces, so it's not necessarily a podcast, you can see our faces. They went ugly early to beat the rush, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) But crumple zones, crumple zones, absorb impact, optimize perforated pattern for maximum comfort and protection. I'm very sure there's no better mouth guard that should be that you should be wearing. Uh, visit sisuguard.com for more information. But here's the deal. AT, we just talked about this off the show. Wear our hats, Sisu. Right. I, mean, like, I want a headband. I want I, a headband. Headband, we want, like, I want a neckband. I want, like, I'm going to take my headband, I'm going right. to put it around my neck. But That's I want a hat. That's than a headband. But I want a That's hat, right? I mean, I can't yeah. stand looking at your bald head. Problem is, is you, you've got a little more hair than I do. And if I wear hats, it taps into an insecurity that people think that I'm wearing a hat because I'm insecure and bald and I am. But it also prevents me from wearing hats at times unless it's cold and then I get over it fast. <laughs> but here's the deal. AT, the NLL season started up. But prior to the NLL season, there was this huge debate on Twitter about how the MLL network, which is Lack Sports Net, and the NLL decided instead of working together with Lack Sports Net, they just decided to do their own thing. Uh, the NLL recently hired a new, uh, I guess, commissioner for the league, and he's killing it, to be honest. I've never seen more buzz around the NLL than I have after this year. So it's good for the NLL, but what is the whole deal about the online platforms? AT, if you knew you could get your source of lacrosse from one place, are you paying eight bucks a month for it? Are you paying, what is your threshold? Are you paying 20 bucks a month for it? Every single piece of lacrosse information that you could have, indoor, outdoor, pro, college, recruiting, everything from one site, what is your threshold? What are you paying a month? You know, if if that included the college games, I mean, for me, the greatest draw are the college games. Right, of course. Um, beyond that, then it's Major League Lacrosse, uh, and then high school lacrosse. Of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, and then the NLL, and that simply is because, uh, you know, I didn't have, uh, you know, I didn't grow up playing box lacrosse, but obviously with the emergence of that on the youth level and the success of the NLL, let's face it, it's been around for, it's been around for about 30 years now i think 85 was the first year or something like that so it's been around for you know 30 plus years uh but to answer your question if i felt like i could get all of that under one roof i mean for me i I would i would pay uh, 100 bucks a month frankly if if it was all of it throughout the year yeah that would be that would be worth it to me now I, i don't know if everybody would do that there would be times when i would watch it uh you know with greater frequency than i would other times, of course, um, but but they certainly for a hundred bucks a month to be able to watch all of those games, I, I would pay that. Well, you're also from New Canaan too, so I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Fairfield County guy comes in and throws out a hundred bucks a month. For me, I'm paying twenty bucks a month, easy, yep. easily paying twenty bucks a month. They've got me. I mean, as it is, I feel like I'm paying a thousand dollars a month to Apple and all the garbage that I'm paying, you know, for them. Whether it's more storage and Apple iTunes Music and everything else. But here's an opportunity for the MLL and the NLL to work together, and I felt like it was failed. And I'm not going to go ahead and, and – I actually – you know what? I will speculate. I'm just going to go ahead and say that I bet at one point there was one meeting. And you know we're, we're going to talk about Dave Gross, and he's no longer the commissioner after this season. I think it's a huge step and a huge opportunity for the MLL, but you got to figure what happened. I mean – is there well, a what happened probably is Grossi probably went up to get a cherry slushy <laughs> and the commissioner of the NLL took that opportunity to cross check him from behind right out the door and that was the end of the negotiation. That was that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> what happened. And what's Couldn't... Grossi gonna do? Not go get a cherry, you know, slush puppy? Sorry. That's on the checklist. So so I, I just felt like that was a perfect opportunity for our sport to really pull it together and say, we're going to put everything under one roof, as you say. And I mean, literally, Lack Sports Network could have like jacked their price up. I'm going to pay. Everyone's going to pay. But now if there's two networks and, and the NLL network isn't really a network, it's just purely streaming games. That's all they do is you got 35 bucks for the season, works out to be around eight bucks you know, a month for that specific season. Now they have two networks. I feel like lacrosse fans aren't going to sign up for either of them, neither of them. Cause it's like, well, I kind of would like to watch lax sports network. I kind of want to watch the NLL. You know, I, I listen, I, I, I think that I honestly believe that even though they're obviously the, the same sport, I just think that they're totally different entities. I mean, I, I, like, like I, I love to watch the MLL. I don't watch the NLL. It doesn't interest me. And for the amount of people that are really interested in both products, you know, I, I, if I have the opportunity to watch just the MLL and feel like part of my monthly fee covers the NLL, I I wouldn't really like that. I would feel like I'm paying for something that I don't have an interest in. In watching. Well, the thing is, is it, it offers an off season. Like, think about the NFL Network and how much garbage is in like I don't know April. I mean, yeah, other than like the football life, which is cool stuff. I mean, they they're just talking about useless information for like six months until you know August turns around, the preseason happens, and they actually have content to talk about. But in our sport, we have the beauty of having spring, right? Yeah. Then you have the summer MLL, which yep. is great. But then. You have this offseason, and you could talk a little bit about the offseason of the fall with college cross, but reality is now you have, all right, well, I can now get into the indoor lacrosse game. Like, do you know what I'm, I'm saying? Never, I'm never going to get into it over football, ever. Right? That's fair. And p- That's part fair. of the MLL is I'll always watch the MLL over baseball. Always. Right. I'll watch competitive team tag over <laughs> baseball. Okay. <laughs> But I'm I'm not going to watch anything over NFL football That's or college true. football, right? But, but, I, I but if you watch, think about it, the, the NFL doesn't compete with Ross NFL over college football and pro football. I, I, I don't think I would do it. But it doesn't I start compete. To play fantasy 
<laughs> That's Major right. League Lacrosse. Then, <laughs> That's right. obviously, I, I would. Then I would start to, um, you know, if, with that, but within that, I would also watch the NLL if I played fantasy NLL. Right. As well. But I would never watch it. I think the NLL has a much tougher competition against not only football, you know, but let's face it. I'd rather watch the New York Rangers than NLL every single time. Right. Uh, college basketball, not the NBA, but college. Uh, yeah, I'd still rather watch the NBA than the NLL. Wow. Um, but, I would, but I would rather watch the NLL than baseball. So I guess for me, I actually really appreciate the indoor game. I like it. I like it a lot. And I'm actually, when uh, the NLL just opened up a couple weeks of free streams, so that's awesome. I watched some of my former players, Kyle Jackson, play the other night. So that was fun. Um, you get to see some of the Americans now making an impact in the LLL. Uh, you also, and I wanted to tweet this out, or I might have tweeted this out. I don't really know. I just keep tweeting. Um, that, <laughs> that, that for the last eight years, you, if you watched the NLL eight years ago, you would not know one player. But now you watch the NLL, you actually know a significant amount of people that are playing. And that's largely due to the fact that the NCAA is recruiting a lot of these kids. So yeah. now there's a lot more Canadians involved in NCAA cross. So you're hearing, you know, common names. But it was just, I, for me, you know, just to bring it back, for me, it was just a lost opportunity for our sport to combine whether or not, AT, you like the NLL or not. Well, it maybe doesn't if really I matter. scored a goal. In the NLL, I would like it a lot more. But the reality <laughs> is when you shoot 3%, uh, it, it has a tendency to um, escape my interest real quickly. <laughs> All right. We're going to uh, move on here. So, AT, we got three things we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about coaching moves and who's going to make the biggest impact as a first-year coach. We're going to talk about breakouts. And mm. breakouts meaning – Teams that have been historic or in the last, say, three to four years have been in a slump. And who out of those teams are going to make the biggest impact, if not a breakout this year? And then the last, of course, we're going to go through the new teams. The new teams, I think there are 11 of them. And we're going to go through the new teams and we're kind of going to rank them based on who are the serious programs out there and who could potentially make a serious impact this year. But let's start on the top end. Uh, we've got coaching moves, and there were eight of them this past summer. We've got Brown. Mm -hmm. We've got UVA, Jacksonville, Princeton, UVM, Hartford, UMBC, and Binghamton. AT, I'm going to ask you right now, who is going to make the biggest impact? Uh, you know what, Ryan? In the spirit of mounting drama, yes, I am going to do it in reverse for you. Perfect. Okay. So I'm going to say, um, you know, if, if we defined impact as loosely the ability to improve a program they're taking over or maintain a level of success, depending upon where that program currently is. Of course. Brown. So a good sort of a subjective definition of impact. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to say that of the eight moves, the one that will have the least amount of impact will be uh, the coaching change at Binghamton. And I don't mean that as a knock on Kevin McCown, uh, you know, but he takes over a team that loses a lot on the offensive end and got blown out 
in a lot of games in 2016. I just don't see, from a record standpoint, wins, there being a big visible change. Now, I'm very confident that he will, he and his staff will start an improvement in the culture and ultimately they will improve down the road. Uh But I just don't see a visible impact as we've defined it. Yeah. Um, at Binghamton immediately, you know, in the same way that it will be at the other schools. So I would say Binghamton is, is, is the Binghamton hire will have the least amount of impact on the Binghamton, Binghamton program from a record visible record standpoint in 2017. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be in upstate New York or downstate. I don't even know what you consider where Binghamton is to the New Yorkers out there. But it's not an easy place to recruit to. Just, it's the stop just before rock bottom, right? <laughs> but the one good thing is he's an alum. Kev's an alum. We talked about yeah. this on prior um, yeah. podcasts. That's passion. And if you're not ready to take over your program and – I mean it, or as an athletic director and you're looking to put a program in good hands – there's no better person to do it with than an alum who's been there I agree. and was successful. I agree with that. And so th- I do agree with you that Binghamton probably will be the least impactful hire right away. But there's no question in my mind that Kev is going to do a great job in the years to come. But he was also one of the later hires. I think it's tough for a new guy like that to come in and now take over a recruiting process at a school. I mean, his head must be on you know, the swivel constantly. I mean, you're recruiting 17s all the way down to 20s. I mean, it's a tough pull to do, um, but I do agree with you. Who's number seven, AT? Um, You know, again, simply looking at the 2017 difference, um, I would have to say it would be UMBC and Ryan Moran now. I don't have a doubt that Ryan Moran is going to bring UMBC to national prominence. I feel that they are going to win the Am East under Ryan Moran. I feel that they are going to become a top, you know, 20, top 15 program again. Uh I just don't think, like the Binghamton hire, I just don't think it'll be a drastic record turnaround in 2017. You know, let's face it, they they lose their best offensive player in Nate Loons. Um, 50 points. Yeah, I just I just think he's going to take a little while. I think he's going to have to get his guys in there. You know, the one thing that is unique about UMBC is that in the AM East, um, you know, with so many state schools in that conference with Binghamton, Albany, Stony Brook, yep. UMBC, you know, of those state schools that, you know, provide an affordable tuition for the people that attend those schools, UMBC is the only one in Maryland. And so I think he's, do you like Maryland? Do you like how I did that? <laughs> I did. Um, I actually was and so well. I think nice. that eventually he is going to uh, win this league. And, and I think it will be sooner rather than it is later. But I just don't think it's going to be in 2017. You know, I think he needs some time to bring in his guys and make this his program. Uh, so I got UMBC. This one, I disagree with you, AT. I really think Ryan immediately comes in. Look, let's face it. Last year, they were 4-10. and 10. But if you look at a lot of their losses, a one-goal loss to Albany, a four-goal loss to uh, Vermont, but a one-goal lo- one loss to Penn, I mean, they're right there. On what, the was the, what did they do against Hartford? Hartford, they, it was 10-4. 
I mean, it was okay. a six goal loss. Yep. But my thing is, is yes, you're 100%. Losing Nate Loons is a tough one. 43 goals, to lose 43 goals on the roster is a tough, you know, pill to swallow. But if you look at the others, they got Max Maxwell. I love that name, by the way. Jack Andrews, Jack Gannon, Max Haldeman. Uh, you've got junior, or excuse me, senior, sophomore. Um, and then the, Max is uh, a, a junior as well. You're returning another 45, 29 points, 22 points. Jack Andrews uh, is a senior. He's gone. But he's got a foundation to turn a 4-10 record around quickly. And yeah. I can see a 500 record. So this is where I kind of disagree yeah. with you here. But again, in a world of parody that I cannot wait for 2017 to see who actually sticks out. Of course, we got that next piece uh, later on in the show. But – Four and ten, I feel like he could turn it around a little bit better. And I, I, I don't disagree with you. I just think if I'm forced to choose yep. based on UMBC losing Nate Loons versus, you know, and we'll get to it, but Hartford and yep. Vermont lose, I, I feel like he's got the toughest uh, road in 2017. Well, so. let's go to the next one, AT. You've got Hartford at number six, which I would put UMBC a little bit uh, higher than that, but go ahead. I Where- do. I, and this is why I do. <clears throat> I think that Ryan Martin getting elevated from head assistant to uh, head coach is an awesome hire. I, I love it anytime a head assistant gets to take over a program, particularly when that program has success and that head coach moves on as Pete Lawrence did in getting out of college coaching. So I, I, I applaud the hire. I think it's the right hire. I think he's got a slight advantage over um, both Ryan Moran and Kevin McCown <coughs> in that he's familiar with the program. He's been on the inside when they've won. So he understands what the culture of this program is. Mm-hmm. And from a, you know, a visible advantage standpoint, he's got arguably – you know, well, one, one of the best two, three face-off guys in the whole country returning in Dylan Protesto. He's an senior, animal. What's that? He's an animal. He's an animal. Um, and if he can go out and win 70%, I just feel like they're going to have the greatest opportunity to remain successful. And then, you know, a year from now, what happens? But I just think that he's he's taken over a program that he knows that he was a big part of putting back uh, on the map. Um, and I think that the momentum at Hartford is going to continue under him. And it helps to have, you know, it helps to, to get the ball 70% of the time after you score, <laughs> whoever <laughs> scores. No so doubt. I, that's, that's why I have uh, Hartford and, and Ryan Martin's higher ranked slightly uh, ahead of UMBC and Ryan Moran. Now, will that be the case in three years from now? I, I would probably say I would I would put my money on on Ryan Moran and UMBC five years from now, but it's quite not in 2017. Oh, I like it. I mean, you've got a team right now that has experience, right? Winning, which is tough. I mean, they won the American East final last year, which is yep. incredible. And of course, of course, Pete Lawrence goes out on the highest note, excuse me, possible. Uh, 11 and seven, uh, you know, they beat Albany, they beat Vermont 17, 16. Uh, you've got, like you already mentioned, they got the media PA kid, Dylan Protesto. My son lives in media, so that's pretty awesome. (laughs) Um, but here's the thing, you know, 
you look at it and they play Quinnipiac in the first round and get smoked. So, you know, he's got some, he's got a lot to work with in Dylan Jenks, who is there 58 points as a freshman. I mean, he's got some talent. He doesn't transfer to Denver. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is so true. It's so true. But I, I, I like this. I like that you pushed uh, Hartford. I probably wouldn't have thought it the way you did, but I like it. Who's number five, AT? Um, you know, I struggled with this one, but I'm going to have to say uh, Vermont and Fife's. I mean, listen, Fife's a proven winner. He was a stud he's player. He's the best. And he's just coming off of winning a national championship as an assistant at North Carolina. Defensive he coordinator. He, he just knows exactly what it takes to go into, uh, you know, taking over something and building it into a winner. I mean, let's. Let's remember that Carolina could have been accused of being a program that has underachieved based on the success that they've had in recruiting over the last, you know, eight years. And for them to get over the hump and win the national championship and for Fife's to be there, um, you know, each step of the way under Joe Bresch, he knows, you know, what it takes. So he's clearly a proven winner. Um, And he hired a great staff, Jake Bernhardt, Chris Miller, um, you know, they're coming off of a very good year. You know, Ryan Curtis and his staff did a phenomenal job just before Ryan stepped down, you know, of putting that team, making that team a winner before you know, he got out of college coaching. Um, and let's face it, they inherit a really, really scary offense. Scary. With the return of Canadians Ian McKay and Cam Milligan. 100%. And so I just feel that they're going to be able to score, you know, 10 goals a game. And I think that Fife's, as you said, as the defensive coordinator at North Carolina, bringing in a great staff, I think they're going to be able to keep some some people down. And I think they're going to be, um, you know, every bit as good as last year and, and perhaps even even better. So I have Vermont next. Ian McKay, Cam Milligan combined 122 points and they're all coming back. Just get those two kids. Get the kid, Get the ball to the Italians, right? I mean, right. I think that's what uh, Will Ferrell said, right? <laughs> right? Get the ball to those guys. They're going to put it in the cup. Um, impressive. Uh, they also have Cam Stafford from Greenwich, Connecticut. No, right? he, he transferred. He did. I think – I want to say he transferred to Virginia. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure he transferred to Virginia and is walking on there. I could be wrong, but but I'm I'm – 75%, which, again, a 75% grade in high school got put on the refrigerator. In the towers <laughs> high school. That shows you that I'm pretty confident. Well, then, either way, you've got the kid Dawes Mitchling, who got another yep, 35 points. He's a stud, St. Paul's kid. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got these guys, and he's got a foundation, man. And to be honest, I'll put a little pressure on Fife's. If he, I mean, it would be a pretty disappointment if he doesn't improve on a nine and eight record in twenty sixteen and from twenty sixteen. I mean, yeah. that's he should be better than nine and eight, and he should definitely be knocking on the door again in the America East final. At yeah. who is number four? Um, you know, again, as I struggled here, uh, I went with Jacksonville, and as we go back to our definition of impact, the ability to improve and or keep a program where they are. I just see Jacksonville coming off of a 3-10 2016 record. Seems like they've, um, you know, sort of been at rock bottom for the last few years. You know, the random fact is that Jacksonville actually beat Vermont in the first game of the year last year, 17 Yeah, that's right. Which is, which is kind of shocking. Um, but I just see 
the second greatest opportunity for massive improvement from 2016 or where they've been the last few years to where I think they can be in 2017. I don't know much about their roster, but I know a lot about their coaches. And certainly with, you know, John Galloway at one end and Casey Powell at the other end, um, they're, they're going to be fun to watch. And the best is yet to come for Jacksonville. So I see Jacksonville slightly ahead of, um, you know, Vermont and Hartford and new NBC just because of, where they can go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got Jacksonville's next. This is where I, I disagree with you here. I mean, obviously at a three and 10 record, you can't really, yeah, you could get worse. I mean, we start with Dartmouth, uh, but you can't, <laughs> you, you're going to improve on a three and 10 record, especially in the SoCon. I mean, there's a lot of room for them to improve on that. Losing to Furman's 13, seven. I don't think that happens in 2017. I don't think, Losing games to Mercer twelve to five, it could happen. I mean, Mercer's a good program too. Tom Hannon's yeah. a stud coach. He's a so, stud, yeah. but I don't think that the score is twelve five. I think a lot more games are decided by one or two goals. Agreed. But if you're going to go ahead and put Vermont against Jacksonville again in the first game of the season, I've got Vermont by seven goals. You know and, what? I, 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 I don't disagree with you. And so this is where I would have Hartford and uh, Vermont ahead of Jacksonville. But look, let's face it. You got Casey Powell. You got John Galloway. They are pushing ton of you know content out. I mean, kids are actually know where Jacksonville is now, um, <laughs> which is which is awesome. If I mean, Jacksonville was seven and seven, I would have them probably last, uh, close lower. to last. Yeah, but I, I just feel like with a three and ten record, I just like the upside there. So that's why they are where they are. Number three, at or excuse me, yep, number three. Yep, number three. Um, I would. I, I have Princeton. I have you know Matt Madelon. I'd love to see him successful. I think he's going to be successful. Uh, you know, he again has a little bit of a head start over some of the other recent hirings, simply due to the fact that. You know, he took over in April after Batesy's departure last year. And let's face it, Princeton, no matter what their record has been the last few years, has a ton of talent. They yep. just do. Yep. And if they remain healthy and they come together as a team, they've got the ingredients to beat anyone and to win the Ivy League. They just yep. do. And so I just think that uh, Matt Madelon has, has a really good chance to make a big impact on Princeton, um, not as much as the two programs that I have ahead of them, but my hope and my belief is that he will uh, get Princeton back to national prominence and a team that is scary for anyone on game day. So I got Matt Madelon next. Does Princeton make it to the final four of the Ivy League? Um. The final four, I think they definitely beat Dartmouth. I think they beat Cornell this year. I think they beat Harvard. I think they lose to Brown. I think they lose to Yale. And I think that... You've got them in the top four. I think they beat, I, I, yeah, I think they do. I think Princeton makes the Ivy League tournament. Wow. Yep. I can't... That, I, I think that they... Look, and, and I think it's going to take a year or two for Matt to get his feet, you know, settled. And... But... 
if there is a year to do it, I mean, look, we already talked about it, the talent that they have, Gavin McBride, Zach Courier, Riley Thompson, all coming back. Uh, you've got 80 to 90, to close to 100 points between the three of those. Losing Ryan Ambler is a big hit. I mean, that's that's a tough one, 46 points, and just the way he plays, is, I just loved his game. Um, I just I just see it hard for a guy, again, right away, and I'm not saying Matt Madeline's not going to do it, but right away getting going from out of the tournament to into the tournament in such a cutthroat league, I don't see it this year. It is a cutthroat league, but they have the players to do it. They do. And that's, that's – it's not like they need to recruit a bunch of great players – in order to make it happen. They do not. They um, have them right there know, on the roster. I think they've got, the, they've got the pieces. And I think anytime you get a coaching change, uh, you know, there's going to be a rejuvenation element that is going to be in play here. And I think that that's a unifier. And I think that if you can get these guys to play together and be unified, I think, you know, that along with, with great talent is, is going to put them in a position to be better than they were. And, um, you know, I think better is them in the tournament. I, um, obviously, um, you had already mentioned it, but, you know, going from head assistant, getting the head job, Matt Madeline, uh, assuming the head role after Chris Bates. But obviously, and I know you feel probably feel the same way, but we're all rooting for Princeton because it's just a testament of what Batesy did. And I hardly ever say that, but I definitely am as it relates to, to Matt Madeline. Good. Um, with that said, the footnotes, I'm still bitter about the way that Batesy and his situation was handled, but um, Matt Madeline can't control that. He's got to he's got to go to work. He's got to move on. His family's, yeah, he's got to move on. So, well, the top two obviously, uh, and they're tied together almost. At you've got UVA and Brown, and they're tied together, of course, because Lars moves from Brown to UVA, yep. Yep. Uh, and you've got Daly who moves into Brown, which basically, in, in my opinion, and, and this is not a knock on Lars, but I don't think, and this is, again, this is my opinion, that Brown loses a step because basically they're just installing the same stuff. Um, so AT, between the two, UVA and Brown, who is going to be the second most impactful team as it pertains to new coaching hires? I think it's, I think it's Mike Daly. Um, and... I'll talk about why I think that is when we get to UVA. Um, but I got Mike Daly at number two most impactful hire in the offseason. You know, clearly he's a proven winner. Uh, you know, he's won three national championships at Tufts, uh, but Division Three is definitely <coughs> different than Division One. There's just Very no question different. about it. Very different. Um, you know, with that said, Mike Daly is a proven winner. And, you know, you don't take a team that was three and 27 in, you know, two years or whatever he got before he took over at Tufts and turned them into the best program in division three by accident. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he, let's face it, he's inheriting a team that has the best player in the country and has the best defensive personnel in the country. Um, you know, off a team that went to the final four and sure they lost some great players. Uh, you know, from the Brown team, they lose stud goalie. They lose the best face-off guy, in my opinion. They lose, Bellistry, you know, they're, Lynn, they're probably Tills, player two Caputo. through five on the offensive end. Um, but they return Dylan Malloy and it's going to be <laughs> great to watch how, you know, player two through five on the 2017 Brown team becomes an unbelievable supporting cast instantaneously given the proven playmaking ability of Dylan Malloy. 
you know, and, and so I see Mike Daly keeping Brown where they are. Will that, does that mean another trip to the final four? God, I hope so. <laughs> and you know what? It wouldn't surprise me at all if I had to pick, you know, them to make the final four. If I had to pick, you know, four teams to make the final four, I would pick Brown. I would. Oh, that's and I know not they biased. lost a lot. I know they lost a lot, but they also return a ton off of a team that, you know, uh, got over sort of the mental hump of do we belong or not last year by making it to the final four. And realistically, we're, you know, a leg injury away from winning the national championship. That, right? you, you, actually, it's not even a leg injury. I mean, they were a leg injury away from definitely winning the national championship. I, I think so, too. I think so, too. So I got I got Mike Daly number two. I, I, this is, I disagree with you here. I, and not placing Brown as the number two in terms of the new hires. It's just that, look, Kyler Bellistry, 92 points, gone. Henry Blinn, 67 points, gone. Bailey Tills, 43 points, gone. Brenda Caputo, 39 points, gone. Matty Graham got his fifth year and I helped him get it. Just letting everyone know, I helped him get it. <laughs> Good work. I wrote a letter to the NCAA to help him get his extra year of eligibility. So, because yeah. I coached, if uh, for background, Matty Graham was uh, originally at Michigan, uh, played for me uh, as the offensive coordinator when I was there, and he didn't play. But because he stepped on the field as uh, a freshman uh, in the fall, they tried to take away his eligibility for his redshirt year. So let me uh, ask you a question, Ryan. Yeah. Right. Did Brown was the leading goal scoring team in the country last year, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the number of points right. is ridiculous. Okay. Now they scored. Is it fair to say that the bulk of their goals scored were in transition situations? I would, I would have to say, yeah, with Larkin, Kemp, Tullett, and Garol, those three pushing tempo right off the faceoff, yes. Okay, so if you're an off-ball player in transition, are the bulk of your passes, catches, shots, and read progressions in time and space? I mean, yeah, always. Yes, they are, okay. Would you say that most of the players – that are playing on game day on top division one teams can pass and catch with time and space in transition. No. You'd so, say no. It's it's the reason why we have our next segment, which is breakouts and teams that are in slumps because you can't find. So I guess my, my, what the point I'm trying to make is that sure. Brian Brown lost a bunch of points from the guys that graduated. But if they're going to maintain the same pace of play, and we both agree that the bulk of their goals were scored in transition opportunities mm -hmm. by playing fast, mm -hmm. I'm very confident that the players that will fill the loss positionally from the people that graduated are going to step in and now have a lot more opportunities, most of which will be in time and space and I'm willing to bet that the point production loss that you just rifled through will be significantly less. It'll be interesting to see when the season is over what the second, third, fourth, fifth leading scorer's point production looks like relative 
to this past year. Will it be replicated? No, I don't think it'll be replicated, but I think it will be significantly closer than we think it is. It's not as though those guys that scored all those points last year were being given the ball in a six-on-six -six scenario and expected to go dodge a pull and score or make you know, a feed off of that. Dylan Malloy is going to be the guy that's going to generate the half-field half opportunities. He's going to be the one that's going to create the slides, right? And once he creates the slides, now we're looking at unsettled situations, the bulk of which are time and space, passes, catches, read progressions, decisions, and shots. And I believe that Brown has the offensive personnel to step in and be close to as productive offensively as they were last year, be better than they were defensively. The question mark for me will be, what's the save percentage going to be out of the goalie? Will he be able to put in a put up a first-team All-American season, you know, like uh, Jack Kelly was? Probably not, you know. And, and will the face-off guy have the same amount of success as Will Garal? Probably not, but I'm willing to bet that, um, you know, the experience of the returning defensive personnel will help cushion that as they get their feet underneath them, particularly in the early part of the season. So. I don't know if there's a, in the history of college across, I don't know if there's ever been a team that loses 250 points from graduating seniors and keeps the same you know, progression, but we'll find out. A.T., your boy. I'd say 1988, the Cornell team with Timmy Goldstein. You know, as a, as a junior, Timmy Goldstein was national player of the year, and they put up Brown-like numbers offensively. They were scoring 17, 18 goals a game, and they graduated the same uh, – a lot, a lot they graduated and yet lost the national championship – the following year, 13 to 8. So that's just off the top of my head, Ryan. But go ahead. <laughs> that's pretty good. 250 points. I, it's holy crap. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, now your boy, Lars Tiffany, jump mm -hmm. shift, jump ship, takes off to Charlottesville. So many sundresses. Such a smart move. <laughs> uh, UVA, obviously, you have as the number one team. Yep. Uh, talk to me. So – so, yeah, I have UBA number one. Now, I, again, I go back to I think that Lars is taking over a different situation than Mike Daly, right? Um, you know, to Lars's credit, he helped build Brown as the head coach. You know, he, he did. He, he, he built them into a Final Four team. Uh -huh. um, so I think that biggest impact here is more reflective of the situations that they're taking over and less reflective of the actual coaches that were hired. And uh -huh. that was, you know, the basis for a large part of why I uh, have UVA's hiring of Lars Tiffany as the greatest impact of all of the hirings in the offseason. And the reason I do is because I think that Lars has the greatest opportunity for noticeable impact, right? Yeah. He's a proven winner in what he did at Brown. And he's taking over an extremely talented team that's been chronically underachieving for the last three, four years. Okay. And so I think that, um, for, for him, he's got the greatest opportunity for a very visible change. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that he's going to do it. Um, I think he's going to, uh, it already sounds like based on, you know, people that he's cut 
people that he's kept. And, you know, from what I hear, uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement among the players in the way that they're playing. And, you know, when you get that much talent excited to come out to practice every single day and you bring in a coach that is definitely not short on enthusiasm. Oh, my gosh, no. Um, I just think that I think from a visible change, I think Lars Tiffany is going to make the most visible change uh, to the program that he's taken over relative to uh, the other seven changes across the country here. So I'll go, I'll go one step further, AT. I think this is going to be the most visible change in the country in terms of a team that every single game, Virginia is basically Virginia's back. And this is not a knock on Dom. Uh, Dom is all arguably the greatest coach in lacrosse history, arguably. Yeah. Uh, I, I obviously would put Bill Tierney five spots. Bill Tierney, Bill Tierney, Bill Tierney, Bill Tierney. Bill Tierney. Yeah, yeah. Then, then everyone else. But – You've got a guy. You can't. You can't probably bring in a guy with a different type of, as you mentioned, enthusiasm, different type of aura. I mean, you walk into Lars's office and you're just gonna you're gonna do push-ups and sit-ups and and jumping jacks with them. I mean, the guy is a he's a player's Tons coach. Of jumping jacks. Lars does a ton of jumping jacks. So many jumping jacks. <laughs> so like, I mean, we're talking about a different like attitude and a, a program where I feel like has so much talent that literally every day for the last three to four years, they hated going to practice. Hated it. And it's sad because you literally have a, t- a Well, a just roster. no excitement. I don't know if they right. hated it, but, but just but you no, know what no it is. excitement. If right? you're not excited, then you're not pumped because you're, you're spending 100 hours a week on lacrosse. And if you're not excited, then you hate it, right? I mean, that's the reality of it. Well, I if mean, it's going to take you away from sundresses, you certainly hate it. Well, or they just replace it with sundresses. I mean, <laughs> so so uh, for me, I think Virginia is going to make an immediate impact. I think, I think it was the inside lacrosse media poll had them at 14. I think that's, a, I think that's actually a legitimate ranking for Virginia, but I think they jump fast like really fast. But unfortunately, they're going to see Loyola in the very first game of the season, and they got to deal with Pat Spencer. Good luck for everyone in the country. AT, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about breakouts. Who's getting out of their slump? And we're going to talk about those teams. We'll be right back. Sisu, where's my hat? At Sisu, we take a very scientific approach to making sure our technologically advanced, doctor-developed, scientifically-backed, industry-changing mouthguards are the most protective, lightest, talkable, breathable, comfortable, drinkable, removable mouthguards on the planet to guarantee you're protected. No matter what comes your way, the Sisu Next Gen. Sisu. Talk. Breathe. Drink. Welcome back to the show again. Uh, we are on to the next segment, which is breakouts. There are teams, AT, that get talked about a lot. Teams that are underachieving for the last few years. Um, are they in a slump or are they not in a slump? That is the question. AT, I'm going to throw you eight teams, eight of them. And you're going to tell me whether they're in a slump. And we're going to talk about whether or not they're going to get out of this slump. The first team I'm going to throw to you is Siena. Mm-hmm. Siena, after the Brian Breck, I mean, 
Brian, the reason why, obviously, the reason why he got the Rutgers job is his performance at Siena. No one was more happy than the college lacrosse coaching world to see a guy from a Mac school get a Big Ten opportunity. It was very well deserved. Um, and obviously, you're seeing uh, Rutgers come back into the fold now. But when, when's the last time Siena's been talked about as a team that scares you? AT. You know, I, I can't remember the last time was, was, you know, when Brian Brecht was coaching up there. And I don't mean that as a knock on John Speck. I don't know the ins and outs of Siena and their respective commitment to the men's lacrosse program. But, you know, he's been there for a little while. They're coming off a season where they were three and 10 last year, two and four in the Mac for a team that was winning the Mac. And, you know, right there each year for them to not even make the Mac tournament is, is devastating. You know, they do return a lot of young offense, but they lose their goaltender and they got blown out a lot in 2016. It just doesn't, it doesn't bode well for them coming into 2017. So um, there's no question that Sienna is in a slump and uh, they need to figure it out because they, they, they should be a team that makes the MAC tournament every single year. Every right? year, every, every year. year, especially with what Brian Breck handed John Speck. Um, I mean, the last year he was 11 and four in 2012 and then immediately the next year, eight and nine. Now in 2014, they had their best year, John Speck's best year. He was uh, 11 and six in 2014. Yeah. Uh, but since then, 2015, five and 10. And of course, as you already alluded to, three and 10. Uh, Siena is a team that we need to start seeing something uh, because, again, getting blown out, losing to Monmouth, a brand new program. Again, we'll get to them in a minute, but Siena is definitely in a slump. Let's go to the next one, AT. Yep. Robert. Morris. I'm not positive they're in a slump. I mean, listen, they were four and two in their league and, and made the conference tournament. I mean, how much more do we really expect out of RMU? I mean, I, I think if they're making, I think if any team is making their conference tournament, they are getting the job done, right? I mean, I think that has to be considered successful. Now, if you're going to compare it to the numbers offensively that they were putting up. And I know that you're going to talk about this. Yeah. That they were putting up, you know, when Bear Davis, who's now the head coach of the Ohio machine, was the head coach there. You know, certainly you're going to look at that. And you're going to say, wow, they're not putting up the same kind of numbers. But they're not. But, you know, you get coaching changes and, you know, things change and everybody's got their own respective idea on the way that things should get done. And Of course. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm, I wouldn't consider RMU in a slump given the fact that they were four and two and made their conference tournament last year, you know, going in this year, they lose a lot of offense and, you know, but they did have one real good win over a really good St. Joe's team last year, 13 to eight. Now they did lose to them in the, in the conference tournament, yeah. but they still beat St. Joe's, which was a team that, you know, I think was a top 20 program last year. And certainly Arguably. a program that is completely legit. Oh yeah. Um, and so I, I, I don't I don't view this program and in a slump in any way. I think Andrew McMinn's done a good job. So here's the thing. In 2012, they were 11 and four AT. Yep. 11 and four. And the average I'm looking at it here. The number of goals per game. And I'm not saying differentiate. I'm not saying win. I mean, we're talking about 
30 goals a game between the two teams. And then, you know, again. What do you mean 30 goals a game? Like we're talking like combined over-unders. I mean, we're talking like it's 14 to 24, 14 to 12. Right, 10, right, 17, right, 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 15, right. 11, 22 to 10, 17 to 10, 17 to 14, 25 to 9. I mean, Bear Davis was putting up numbers and was changing the game because he said, screw it. We're going to run and gun, baby. We're going to shoot the ball. I'm going to get it to my Canucks. He had five of them on the yeah. roster that were out there. Um, so that means he basically had his entire scholarship money on one side of the field. And, you know, he got books and, and whatever on the other side. Uh, but – Look, I mean, he went with a, a a method and he's like, I'm going to spend on one side and, you know, he was successful at it. And for the last four years, other than 2013, the year after he left, they were eight and seven. Other than that, I mean, you've got losing records, five and nine. You've got, yeah. you know, three and 11. And then obviously in 2016, you got seven and eight. I, I do think they're in a slump and I would like to see a little bit more from um, you know, Robert Morris, considering they're still recruiting from the same areas, um, you know, and, and like you always mentioned, and we, we actually always mention, you know, look, it, it helps when you have a face-off guy, helps when you have a nice goalie, um, you know, so looking at things from a perspective, my perspective with Robert Morris, I do think they're in a slump. I'm actually in Pittsburgh right now, so I'm kind of like looking over my back. <laughs> um, so, um, but let's moving on. Number six, A.T., Delaware, are they in a slump? <laughs> I think they are in a slump, and I think that they've been in a slump for a while. Yeah. Um, it just seems like they have good players, yet their end-of-the-year record never seems like it's, you know, very – it always just seems like Delaware has a couple of good wins in the beginning of the year, and I'm always like, oh, here it is. Delaware is going to have a sick year this year. And then they lose about eight straight, and I give up on them. <laughs> and then they – Go, you know, they win three out of four in the CAA down the stretch and somehow slip into the CAA playoffs. But last year they were five and ten and they were two and three and they missed the CAA playoffs. And while they did have a, a really, really good win over an awesome Towson team, they just had too many bad losses. Right. And I, frankly, I just I just don't see why they'll be any different in 2017. Um, so I think that they are in a slump. Absolutely. I think they haven't had a winning record since 2011 and they went to the semifinals and lost to Duke by goal. I mean, right. that's showing the country and our sport that you're a real deal. Delaware is a real deal. You're going to the NCAA semi, you know, final four. Um, you know, but here's the deal from 2012 on, they haven't had a winning record. Yeah. That is a major slump. Um, are they going to get out of it? Do you see if, you know, we're getting now into teams that you feel like probably could. Are they going to get out of this slump, AT, in 2017? I don't, I mean, I hope so for the for the kids in the program or for the staff, but I don't believe so. I don't, I don't think, I'm not looking at them saying, well, they're one year away. They're two years away. They're one, I, no, right. I, I don't, I don't see it. Right. I agree. So, I hate to say it, but no. <laughs> Number five. This is uh, the Harvard of the Big East. Oh, Harvard, we're coming for you. Georgetown. Um, Are they in a slump? Uh, I, I would say a slump. I would say if they win three more games this year, then they'll be in a slump, right? They're, they were 2-12 last year. 
one in four, right? I mean, that is rock bottom in capitals, right? <laughs> their, their wins were over Hofstra, which was playing very, very well at the time. And I actually called that during our weekly picks, mm-hmm. you uh, did. which was a great win. And I thought that would be, you know, sort of the, the term for them. Yep. Uh, but the only other win they had last year was Providence College, right? And I just can't figure out this program. Kevin Warren's a good coach. Kevin Warren knows the sport. Kevin zero, Kevin, Kevin zero Warren argument there. Is, is a winner. Yep. There's just no question about it. And they have good players. So if they have good players and the coach is a good coach, then you got to look at the culture of the program. Yes. Now, you know, having been a coach at Dartmouth where our culture was, was not great, um, you know, it's, it, we don't know. We don't, you know, we're right. not there every single day. We don't go to their practices. We don't go to their strength conditioning sessions. Right. You know, we're, we're, we're speculators, right? Yep, of course. But if you can look at the program from the outside looking in and you see good coach, good players, to me, it's, it's got to be a culture issue. And yep. while it takes a long time to turn that around, um, you know, it better turn around pretty quickly because yep. they just, they have too many positives or I should say there's too many reasons why this program should be a lot better than two and 12. Yes. And, uh, you know, so they are, they are not in a slump. They need to win more games to be in a slump, but I, they certainly have the ingredients to make a drastic turnaround. And it wouldn't surprise me if Kevin Warren is able to do that. Is it going to be in 2017? I hope for his sake it is. But I, I just don't think you make too drastic of a turnaround from two and twelve. You know, is seven and seven realistic? Yeah, I think it's realistic. But let's let's it, they got to go do it now. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, last year, interesting year, uh, tragic death of their player, which speaks to what you're talking about in culture. Um, obviously, um, you know, unfortunate circumstances there. Um, but you got to think. In my opinion, two and twelve is seven and seven realistic, as we just mentioned. I do think it's realistic, but I also could absolutely see Georgetown going twelve and two. You know what I mean? I, I feel like at any given time, and we're going to talk about Harvard, and they're kind of the same team. They've got so much talent on that roster, but exactly the way you said it, until they actually break through and actually get some winning experience because the only winning year they had was 2015. And I think they went, uh, you know, 10 and six, you know, but they took that 10 and six year and they drank on it and they ended up in 2016, two and 12. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that there's, you know, again, we talked about Kevin Warren and obviously they have a lot of faith in him. He was uh, sought after and definitely in the coaching uh, carousels. Uh, which is good. And justifiably uh, so. And justifiably, exactly. But obviously Georgetown came back to them because they believe in them. And and obviously we as you know, insiders to this industry, I believe in Kevin Warren, but God, you got to think that Georgetown with his recruiting power and who doesn't want to go to D.C. And, and be in D.C. And, and that environment and go to one of the best institutions in the world. Um, you know, it, it, for me, this is a major slump. But again, do I see a change in 2017? Probably not. You know, I, I think I, I also will say, you know, obviously, Kevin Warren is the head coach, right? They win, yep. he gets the credit. They lose, he gets the yep, criticism. <laughs> with, with that said, you know, you and I both know that Kevin is a hard ass, right? He's, yes. he's a tough guy. Yes. And he's taken over a program 
that we both agree has a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you have a lot of talent and you don't win a lot of games and you bring in a coach that is a hard line, you know, tough guy, and he's going to say, listen, this is the way it's going to be. Yep. The players need to embrace that and they need to suck it up. Yes. Right. Because I'm willing to bet that there are, you know, a group of parents and players that are saying, you know, that are that are deciding on Kevin Warren because he's demanding that these guys practice hard, play tough and do the things that will enable them to become a hard nosed program. And hard-nosed programs are the ones that win the one-goal games. Uh-huh. And he's got the, he's got talent. You know, are they mentally tough and tough enough as a group of players to see the bigger message from Kevin Warren, which is until we're tough, we're right. not going to win games. That's right. And <clears throat> the hope for Kevin Warren is that you know the players figure it out embrace his message because his message is correct. I mean, he's, he's a guy that, you know, that program has never been a program in my opinion that people look at and say, they're what a really bunch of hard ass tough kids there. You know, they just don't, they're really talented kids that, you know, somehow find a way to lose to teams that are less talented than them. To me, that comes down to toughness and, you know, they've got the coach that's demanding that out of them. If they don't respond appropriately, you know, that probably will be the end of Kevin Warren at Georgetown, which would be sad because he's exactly what the program needs. Yes. You know, but just the way that the pattern works is, you know, in today's day and age, they 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 get rid of the coach instead of, you know, allowing the coach to recruit tough kids and and whatever it may be. So I, I personally see this more on the players than I do on the coach, but I don't know the players like I do Kevin Warren. Uh, but the hope is that the players turn into the skid, so to speak, and embrace what Kevin Warren is is preaching. And if they do that, Georgetown, like you said, they could turn it around. They could make the Big East Conference tournament as they should every single year. Every year they and, should be and there. Be, and become the top 10 program that they should be. No doubt. Number four, our boys in Boston, Harvard University. I roll, I roll, Harvard. Uh, in 2016, they were eight and eight with a loss to Yale in the championship. 2015, they were seven and seven, nothing. 2014, they were ten and seven, lost the Ivy League final and lost in the first round of the tournament to Notre Dame. That was a throttle job. Yeah. And 2013, six and eight, and nothing. Is Harvard in a slump? Is Harvard permit? Are they in perma slump? <laughs> Harvard's been in a slump for the last 25 years. Or <laughs> you know, since David Kramer, uh, you know, and those guys graduated, Mike Murph and those guys graduated in, in 91 after they, you know, tied John Reese and those guys for the Ivy League championship my, my sophomore year. They've been in a slump all the way up with the exception of 2014 when they, you know, tied for the outright Ivy League, uh, you know, regular season. They lost to Penn in the Ivy League tournament that year. Uh-huh. But I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that they've been, I don't think they're in any different of a slump than they've been in for the last 24 to 25 years. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, you know, they lose a lot 
from last year's double class graduation. Yes. Right. With what they lose on the defensive end through Devin Dwyer, through the offensive end, Will Walker. Now, Harvard's never been at a loss for talent. Uh, you know, Woj is a winner. Ben DeLuca is a winner. winner. They're winner. winners, right? And they're 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 going to be successful. Um, you know, but they've got to stay healthy. Which again, we have the same conversation every single year, right? Um, but I, I, it's not it's not a lack of talent issue. I don't think it's a lack of coaching issue. Knowing those guys, they're both very good coaches and proven winners. Um, you know, I I think it I think that they. Um, I mean, yeah, they're they're in a slump, but not any different than any other year. And I think that with a softer 2017 schedule, um, you know, maybe they can go out and, you know, put together a, a season that's going to allow them to make the Ivy League tournament and compete to win it. I mean, they beat Brown last year, but they lose a lot of individual talent off of that team. Now, I do think that another year under Ben DeLuca is going to help them significantly. Um so I, I just I'm I'm not a buyer of Harvard and it pains me to say that because I'm a fan of Woj and a fan of Ben's. Um, but I just don't I, I mean if they're if they're hurt every year, why is this year gonna be any different than every other year? And they right. have less talent. Right. So I can't figure this I can't figure them out either. Huge losses in Devin Dwyer, seventy two points, Will Walker, twenty nine points, Ian Audrey, twenty four points. They keep Morgan Cheek. I love Morgan Cheek's game, man. Uh, 59 points last year. Joe Lang, 39 points. And Sean Coleman, um, AT, when we were on the recruiting circuit. He's a beast. I, I remember him. He, he was arguably the number one player in the country. Yeah. Um, and they got, and they got. let's face it, and they got their goalie, Robert Shaw, back, who was yes, a stud. That's right. that's right. He was a stud. He was. Uh, so who knows? But Harvard, to me, is the, the six foot five, 220 pound midfielder that at any given point can go off for six goals, but shoots less than 5% on the season. And you put right. it in the whole time. Right. Because you just don't know what you're going to get. You, you have because how do you bench six four two twenty? That's right. How do, you, how do you put them on the bench? You're going to literally, you're going to look in the eyes of the coaches next to you. And they're going to look at the kid at the bench and see six foot five two twenty 220 and be like, you're sitting him on the bench. I mean, it's tough to do. And Harvard is that number three Cornell is yeah. Cornell in a slump. Ben DeLuca in 2013 went 14 and four, albeit with Jesus Christ as an attackman for him and Rob Pinnell. They go to the semifinals, but since then, and of course, you know, Ben DeLuca gets canned crazy. Uh, 2014. Unfairly. Unfairly is right. Uh, 11 and five lost to Penn in the semis. Then 2015, 10 and six lost to Princeton in the semis and losing the first round. Uh, Of course, to the Jesus Christ trio. In the all uh, the uh, Thompson uh, brothers and cousins, and then in 2016, six and seven, no tourney, no nothing. Is Cornell on the slump? Um, I'm going to say that no, Cornell is not in a slump. I think that with the unfortunate exit of Ben DeLuca and the way that that went, I think Ben got screwed. Yeah, um, you know, and I think that it really falls on the AD, who I think coughed up all over himself with that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Matt Kerwick is a winner. There's no question about it. Um, you know, they, they went six and seven last year. They went one and five and missed the Ivy league tournament, right? The only team they beat was Dartmouth. 
you know, but I really see last year as sort of the transition year from sort of the residue of Ben DeLuca and sort of the, the newness of Matt Kerwick. And I think that what you're going to see is that Cornell is going to make an improvement. Do they make the Ivy tournament? I don't know. I, I, I think they certainly have a shot. You know, I don't, I think Princeton makes it ahead of them this year. Um, you know, and maybe Princeton and, and, and I just don't know. I, I, it's, it's kind of a hedge, but I really see that Cornell is not in a slump. I think it's what you're going to see is they're going to come back and have a much better season this year. If they're playing 13 games this year. You know, I see them being, you know, eight and five. And I think that they, while they lose Massimilian, who was, you know, one of the top five faceoff guys in the country, it yes. sounds like um, that had to have, that had to happen. Um, and I think that, look, they got a ton of freshmen and sophomores. I think, you know, six of their top eight returning scorers were freshmen and sophomores. They've got an unbelievable freshman class coming in. I still think they're a year away. I, I really do. I think I think next year they're going to have an opportunity to, to win the league. Um, but I think this year, if they're able to make the Ivy League tournament, I think that'll be a step forward. So I don't think that Cornell's in a slump. I think what you're seeing really is a team that is making the transition from the former coach to the new coach. And with the, the recruiting process, the way that it is, I think that uh, I think that's a realistic um, evaluation. They got Jeff T coming in. That kid is a monster. He's like a buck 35 soaking wet, but the kid could put the ball in the net. Uh, in terms of the Ivy League, I don't have Princeton making the um, tournament, uh, Ivy League tournament. I do not have Cornell making the Ivy League tournament. And for me, it's Harvard, Penn, Brown, and Terrible Pizza make the Ivy League tournament. <laughs> um, and so I do believe that Cornell is in a slump. I don't, and I do this because imagine if this is Syracuse. They beat Syracuse last year. No, but I'm just saying, like in general, the last couple of years. I mean, no, I, I, I mean, listen, I, I agree, but, but what you forget is that Cornell beat Syracuse. They beat Virginia, who's chronic underachiever, right? They beat Colgate. They beat Lehigh. Um, you know, they beat Hobart, who who made the national tournament last year. You know, my concern with Cornell more so than anything else is that they're losing to all of the teams in the league, right? by a minimum of three goals in each game. Brown beats them by 17, right? Then they lose, you know, 12-8 to Yale or whatever it is, and then it's three-goal loss to here, Penn, three-goal loss to Harvard, you know, one-goal loss to Princeton. I, I just, you know, that that concerns me because that tells me that they're, you know, still another year away. Mm -hmm. But again, I think that the league was strong last year, certainly with Yale and Brown at the top, the talent that Harvard brought to the field, and then I think that there was a drop-off. Yeah. You know, Cornell, Princeton, Dartmouth, um, you know, and so I, I think that Harvard comes back a little bit. I think Yale comes back. Andy, Andy's, you know, does an unbelievable job and they're going to reload as they always do. But but they lose, you know, um, some good players. I don't know how good they are on the goal. Brown's going to win the Ivy tournament again. I'm sorry. Brown's going to win the Ivy. We're digressing. Again. We're getting back to Brown. Yeah, Screw yeah, Brown. Yeah, yeah. I right. hate Browns. Sorry. <laughs> color, color poop. <laughs> Last two, Hofstra, AT, is Hofstra yeah. in a slump. Other than their St. Paddy's Day unis, which are fire, 
What have they done I, lately? Listen, Hofstra, I don't think is in a slump. I mean, Hofstra's highs are, they could be a Final Four team. Their lows are, they could lose to anyone in the country. You know, their problem is bad losses. I mean, they, they went nine and six last year, yep. three and two in the CAA, right? But the problem is they're bad losses. You can't lose to Georgetown, Stony Brook, Providence College, Fairfield twice, and expect to be a team that doesn't end up in the are they in a slump category on the inside your in your in your face podcast. <laughs> right? You just do. That's what happens. That's right. They 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 need to beat the teams that they should beat and then continue to steal a few from the so-called bigger teams. Yeah. If they do that, they're not in the are they in the slump part of our podcast. They aren't finishing nine and six. They're finishing 11 and four. Yeah. And, you know, we're not talking about them. Seth Tierney's, again, a great coach. He's the right coach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but the concern in 2017 is they they lose a ton of offense. They lose some four-year players. You know, they do, return their goal to the, they do return their goaltender, yep. but they lose a lot of offense. And so it's going to be um, – you know, this is going to be a tough year. So I, I wouldn't say that they're in a slump. I would say that, you know, they are kind of how they always are. And in their best years, you know, they haven't lost those those bad games and they've been able to win some big games. And, um, you know, I, I I think that Seth Tierney is, is the right coach. I think he's one of the best coaches. Um, but they got to figure out a way to uh, to eliminate these bad losses. Well, the return, Josh Byrne. Uh, 45 points. Of course, we talked about him. I think he might have been uh, IYF Player of the Week. Might have been. I think he might have I been. I think he was. Uh, and then Kavanaugh and Kupeki, um, you know, they're coming in with some talent. They lose Samonars. That kid is a beast, by the way. He was one of my favorite players to watch. He's great. Um, from the midfield. Um, but here's the deal. Nine and six. They lose in the semis um, in their conference tournament. Five and nine, no tourney. Eleven and five, they lose in the CAA championships. They got screwed that year in the uh, in terms of who was going to the tournament. But then seven and seven, six and eight. I mean, we're talking about a team that. I mean, when was the last time that we talked about a Hofstra team that was wow, like heads up? When was the last I, time? I would say uh, week four of two thousand sixteen, after they beat Carolina, beat Princeton, and. I don't know who they lost to. They had, they, had a, they had a tough loss in like the third game of 2016. Do you have it in front of you right there? Uh, no, I do not. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. But that we're talking about one week where we're all excited. But well, we're that was two weeks. Two weeks. They two beat weeks. Carolina That's and they right. beat Princeton. That's right? right. And you picked Princeton. And I picked I Tostra. I did. And I picked uh -huh. Tostra. And then I picked Georgetown, which shows you where my attention span is. But the fact <laughs> is, is that loss to Georgetown last year seemed to derail Yes, a start to the season that could have been a real special one, you know, given everything that they have. Uh, but they still made their conference tournament. Um, and, you know, listen, that's that's a successful season, in my opinion. So the number one team that I believe is definitely in a slump and it's only in a slump because we expect so much from this man. And I, I personally think he's. One of the best, if not the best, right under Bill Tierney, yeah. coaches in the country in Penn State and Jeff Tambroni. Are is Penn State in a slump, AT? You know, at Penn State, with the death of Connor Darcy, I think that they 
I, I don't think it's fair to say that Penn State is in a slump based on what that team went through last year. Really, really tough. Um, just a brutal, brutally tough situation. You uh-huh. know, they they finished eight and seven in the league. Or I'm sorry, eight and seven overall, two and three in the Big Ten. But they made the conference tournament, and they had three one goal losses in April to Hopkins, Maryland, and Rutgers, mm-hmm. which prevented them from having a great right, 2016 right, right. season. Right. They graduated TJ Saunders this year, but they have returned a ton of talent. Ton. Grant the, Big Ten is, the, number the, Big, one. the Big Ten is extremely tough now that Rutgers has emerged into a top, you know, 15 team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I wouldn't say that they're in a slump. Um, let's not forget that when Jeff Tambroni took over Penn State about five years ago, Penn State was at rock bottom every single year. Worse than rock bottom. They were I, staring up yeah. at rock bottom. I, I think that, right, they were staring up at rock bottom. Yeah, that's right. I think that Tambo, I, I feel the same way about him as you do. I think he's one of the very best, absolute very best coaches in the country. Yep. You know, one of one of the five best. Yes. Um, you know, and and I think that they're going to, you know, they're going to be a Final Four team at some point. Um, you know, but I, I just don't know if it's going to be in 2017. But I, I wouldn't say that they're in a slump. I think that, you know, this is a team that, you know, look, to, to change the culture of a program that's been a traditional, traditionally losing program, which is what he took over. Uh-huh. Right? Everybody looked at Penn State and said, wow, they got so much talent. As soon as they get the right guy, they're going to win a national championship. Yeah. But you're not for, people forgetting that it's the culture that takes so long to turn. Uh-huh. And it's not like he's taking over a program that's a first year program and there is no culture. Yeah. He took over a program with a losing culture. Yeah. So that's significantly more work than one with no culture. That's and right. I think that I think we're going to see big strides out of Penn State in the next uh, few years. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Penn State eventually, you know, win the Big Ten championship. And maybe even before they win the Big Ten championship, make the final four. I think they were they were playing at that level. Um, you know, at the end of the year, they just they just had, you know, Hopkins in Maryland and an extraordinarily hot Rutgers team that they had to get through. And, you know, they lost three one-goal games. I mean, you can't get that much closer, right? That's, that's fair. That's fair. And certainly, uh, again, judging by 2016 with the, the death of a, a very important teammate um, in Connor Darcy, obviously that puts a kind of an asterisk to that season. Um, but like you said, they return a lot of talent. Grant Amant, Nick Aponte, Matt Florence, Mike Sutton. By the way, Mike Sutton, when he was in the recruiting process, I, I, I probably didn't see a better player in God, the country. he was incredible. I Unreal. remember him p- pounding one off the pipe from about 18 that went beyond half field the other way. Uh, he looked like somebody, somebody's father. He looked like Mike Regan. That's who he <laughs> nice, looked like. Yes, I, I love that windup from Regs. Regs is the best. We're going to take a quick break here. Sisu, where's my hat? I still don't have a hat, Sisu. Mouthpieces, check them out. Really appreciate them sponsoring our podcast. But when we're going to return, we're going to do a quick segment on which of the new teams are serious. We'll be right back. Blacks All-Stars, by players, for players, dedicated to growing the game. Become a member today. Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu 
dot com. Uh, check them out. Uh, really appreciate again the official mouth guard of Team USA, US Lacrosse, and in your face podcast. Uh, last you hit segment the big of the time, show. <laughs> um, last segment of the show. We're going to talk about uh, the teams that probably don't get talked about much. But we're going to talk about the new teams out there in Division One. There are now 71 teams in Division One. We are going to go through the new ones and which ones are the most serious. And the list we have here are High Point, and this is no order. High Point, Richmond, Hampton, Michigan, Cleveland State, Marquette, Lowell, BU, New Jersey, Furman, and Monmouth. Those are our new teams. Um, AT, which ones are the most serious and have the potential to make an impact right away based on what you've seen either, say, last year, couple years? Yeah. Um, talk to me about what you think out of those new teams, the most serious teams out there. So if, if you're looking at this group of, you know, 11 schools – um, and you're saying which teams are serious. I, I would, I would define serious as, you know, teams that make their conference tournament and, or beyond go obviously, but, but as a minimum are yep. able to make their conference tournament, um, and, or are a genuine threat to beat a top 20 team in the eyes of that top 20 team, right? For instance, if, you know, Duke has a team coming to play them. Do they genuinely, are they genuinely nervous about that respectful team, about that respective team beating them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if, if you go down the list and what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to, I'm going to rank them um, as sort of most serious to <laughs> not serious enough. <laughs> There you go. I like that. Not serious uh, enough. And I'm going to say, so at the top of this list, I'm going to put Marquette, right? Of and, and the reason, the reason I'm going to put Marquette is because, number one, they beat Denver, who was, you know, for all intents and purposes, for most of the season, regarded as the best team in the country last I year. I had them winning the national championship. I know you did. Um, and, and they beat that team. Mm-hmm. They went 11-5. and five. In the Big East, um, you know, the, the criticism against them is that they didn't really have any other big wins other than beating Villanova, who they beat them, and it was a great win, but they sort of beat Villanova toward the end of the season after Villanova Tanked. had sort of peaked in March, right? Yeah. It, Villanova started strong. They had some great wins, but they weren't playing their best lacrosse, you know, in mid-April, when they ran into Marquette and Marquette beat them up good. Right. Um, so, and we both were looking at this. I remember last year we were saying, all right, well, you know, Marquette's biggest win is a one goal loss to Notre Dame. Right. right? That, that's, what, that's what we were saying yes. before they came and, of course, beat Denver. Beat Denver, right. Um, you know, but I, I would put Marquette at the top of this list in terms of seriousness. Yeah. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think about that? I, I obviously they, I mean, they hosted an NCAA team. I mean, they are the most serious of the new teams. I mean, they've proven it. Um, they've got a winning record. They've got all the resources. They got a great coach, a great staff. They've got talent. Um, my question is, is, 
are they a little overrated um, in terms of the national scale? Yeah. Um, that was my thing. I mean, they played um, Ohio State, I believe, in the second game of the year at, you know, in Wisconsin. But I don't think they come out with a victory in there. And they had their preseason, you know, top 20. Ohio State isn't. But every single game, I feel like Marquette is not necessarily the favored team. I, you know, now that's a good conversation to have because – Look, they're in the top 20 in their brand new program. Um, so when you look at the other programs like Richmond, I think they're very serious too. I think BU, very, very serious. I'm going into Richmond, I'm going into BU, and I'm not, I'm, I'm worried. I'm thinking to myself, these are teams that I can lose to. Um, and so when you look at those, uh, you know, High Point coming in as another top tier of the new teams that are very, very serious. Um, it, it bodes well for our sport to see how quickly these teams can make an impact immediately once they come on the stage. Um, you know, there are other schools that just have, you know, standard or less resources than the, the four teams or the four programs that we just talked about. Um, that certainly, uh, you know, doesn't allow for the staff to move that quickly. But, you know, certainly in my top four, and I believe it's your top four as well, you got High Point, Richmond, you got Marquette, and you got BU as major players in the game on a national yeah. scale. No, and no question. I mean, no question. Listen, uh, Marquette beats Denver, okay? BU beat Navy, yep. which was an NCAA quarterfinal team last year. Yep. Okay. Uh, you know, Torp, Pat, High Point, they beat UVA last year. Yep. They had Maryland in a real good spot or a real tough spot, I should say. And they really had no bad losses. Right. You know, they lost to Air Force and they got beat up, you know, in the last game of the year by Richmond. But there's no question that High Point is a <laughs> is a very serious program and somebody that could can, can beat anybody on any given day. Yep. Right. You've got Richmond who beat Duke. Yep. They had two nine, eight losses to air force who was absolutely legit last year. Correct. Um, you know, and so I, I think that those three, those four teams, Marquette, BU, high point and Richmond are sort of in a class by themselves here. In my opinion. Yep. Right. I agree with you. And then from there, I think you have, Talk about the next three or four. Yeah, I, I think you've got the next four teams that are kind of grouped together. And I would even say one is sort of different than the other three. I, I would put Michigan sort of next um, and almost have them sort of next by themselves. And That's the reason fair. being is I think they've got way more talent than Monmouth, Lowell, or Furman. But I just don't think that it came together obviously in 2016, given the fact that they lost their last eight games. I mean, they right. started the season very strongly. You know, they, they beat Colgate. They lost to Penn at Penn 12, 10 yep. and Penn ended up having a very good team down the stretch, um, you know, and, and, and made the Ivy league tournament. And, and I just expected greater strides from Michigan based on, you know, everything coming together sort of in year four, I believe it is for them. Um, you know, maybe it's, is it year four? Is this year five coming up for Michigan? Uh, this is, I was team two and three, four, five. 
So six. this is your six. This, this is, is your six. So I would have expected Michigan to be better than three and ten last year, particularly with losing the last eight, including one at home to Dartmouth for Dartmouth's only win of the year. Um, you know, but just given the amount of talent that they've assembled there, um, given the resources, given the passion of their staff, I just I'm disappointed that Michigan isn't in that same group with Marquette, Richmond, BU, and High Point. But I just listen based on the results, they just aren't, in yeah. my opinion. And then, and then beyond that, sort of the next three together: Monmouth seven and seven last year. Um, you know, UMass Lowell. Eddie Stevenson is one of the best coaches in the country. Building love, a new program I up love there. That. Love that. A lot of young freshmen and sophomores. And then Furman. You know, with with a coach that's you know, uh, one of one of the best, you know, coaches in the history of the sport and Richie Mead, yet they, you know, they go two and 12. I mean, what's up with that? I, I, I would have thought they would have been farther along, you know, maybe, maybe Richmond and, and Furman, I feel the same about given that they, they have seemingly more resources and, and, and should be farther ahead than Monmouth and Lowell, but I kind of have Michigan by itself based on the, the talent difference and then Monmouth, Lowell, and Furman sort of as the next group. Where are you at with that? I, I agree. I mean, look, Furman, you know, you talk about seriousness as a program. Um, they made a splash hire uh, with Richie Mead. Um, but your top score is scoring 25 points on the season. Um, mm -hmm. that's, it's, it's, that's not good. <laughs> that's not going to get you wins. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you look at a team like Lowell, I do believe they are there as well. Um, you know, obviously speaking in terms of Michigan, um, they're recruiting arguably the best. But the problem is, is those recruiting classes are 22 years out. I mean, it, it, they're just not there yet. So that's going to take time because you got it's kind of a different recruiting process now where you're getting better recruits, but they just don't show up for another three, four years. Right. And, um, and, and you're right. I mean, you look at when Pressler was at Duke. Joe Bresch at North Carolina, you know, I, I do think that you've got to have a foundation of great players and great recruits to sort of make that next step eventually. Yeah. Now, you know, unfortunately for Mike Pressler, he got, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, unfairly, I mean, it's just a brutal situation. So he wasn't, you know, able to be the coach when they made that final step and credit John Donowski and his staff for, for winning, you know, three national championships, but Mike Presser, you got to believe was, you know, in line to win national championships at Duke. And my hope is that Joe Bresci is going to be able to win, you know, more national championships at North Carolina. But the first part of, of, of building, you know, uh, a super high-end team is is getting those recruits, and Michigan's getting those recruits. You know, will they be significantly different in three or four years? I believe they will, but but not right now. Right, right. Um, so let's talk about the last few: New Jersey, Cleveland State, and Hampton. Um, obviously, Cleveland State is their first year, so we have no basis to judge. Uh, Dylan Sheridan is obviously creating a lot of buzz um, in. Arguably one of the worst cities in the world. Kidding. 
Um, Worst football cities in the world. But yeah, the there that's, that's for sure. Um, uh, but again, I'm, I'm in Pittsburgh, so I'm very, very close. I'm looking over my shoulder right now. Right. Um, but obviously, they don't have any basis. Um, Hampton last year, clearly, you know, they threw, you know, a team together and they put them out there and they had a mostly Division three. My issue with Hampton is this is year two. Um, and you've got a team like Cleveland State, and they're going to play a few uh, Division two, three programs uh, in their schedule. And it's completely understandable. But you got Hampton, who has a schedule of about, I don't know, eight teams, eight games. It was odd. I, it was I, I very was, odd. Yeah. And then on top of it, they only play like one or two Division one teams. When is Hampton going to flip the switch? And, you know, you talk about seriousness. I, like, I don't, I don't understand, like, and look, this is a coach that, you know, doesn't know the division one game. He doesn't. And, and that's okay. You know, he's going to learn fast, but with eight game schedule and most of them division, I mean, are they ever going to be in, uh, like, are we going to talk about them as a top 40 team ever? Oh, I think we will eventually, but I just think that right now, listen, I, I think, what you're getting at is control the controllables, right? I mean, right. if you're going to come in, you're going to take over a new program and we're going to make a, a production on them becoming division one, which is great. Then put together, you know, a 12 or 14 game schedule where your people will play Hampton. It's not like, you know, if, if Hampton calls up Duke and says, listen, we'll come up to you and we'll play you. They'll play them. Right. Right. Yep. I mean, the, these, these, the coaches at the best programs in the country rec recognize you know, their position and will do the division one game justice and help these programs succeed by doing their part and scheduling them. Um, you know, but, but let's, let's schedule a, a you know, a, a group of teams that will attract recruits. I mean, who are, who they play last year? All the research I did showed that they played five games. They played five games. And, 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 you know, while they got crushed, let's the, I mean, put together a, put together a division one schedule, right. you know, and if you right. get crushed and you go, oh, and 14, who cares? But at least you have something to tell recruits. Right. And you can, you know, pitch, Hey, you know, you can be part of putting a program on the map, blah, 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 blah. I just, I, that, that's what I don't understand. You know, News using and NJIT goes out and they put together that schedule. You know, Cleveland State is playing Denver and Duke and some of these teams. Why, what prevents Hampton from doing that? I, I, don't, under, I don't understand that. Right, right. No, I, t I totally agree. I don't, I don't have all the information, so maybe it's, you know, uh, but, but to me, it's not really controlling the controllables by scheduling these teams. I, mean, I don't know. Well, you got you got 15 games for Cleveland State. They've got one, two, three games against non-Division One opponents. That's 12 Division One games. You've got a schedule of eight teams for Hampton, and only three of them are Division One opponents. Um, I just like I, I guess I I don't necessarily get it. And like I would also be bringing in a class of 30, bringing in a class of 40, 50 dudes. You know, bringing them in. I mean, yeah. Not a lot of buzz right now, but you know, let's. I'll give him. I'll give him another year to put together the schedule that we all think he should put together. Because if look, if if Dylan Sheridan's doing it, so should Lloyd Carter. That's for sure. I, I agree. Um, 
And, um, you know, so that's really it for the show today. Um, we are going to be back in January. We've got some exciting news coming up. We're not going to announce it quite yet. Um, but basically be tuned in for us this year with Blacks All-Stars every Saturday morning. Uh, pre-game with us. Um, we're going to go through uh, the games of the week and certainly uh, talk more about spreads and who's going to win and talk trash about people. And I'll probably embarrass myself often, but we're excited for 2017. Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, it's New Year's Eve. Um, and Sisu, where's my hat, baby? Thank you again to Sisu Mouthguards, evolution of the mouthpiece and please send us one i'd like to actually talk on the podcast with it in my i mind. want to wear one next podcast and, and towers needs a headband yeah. uh in the meantime check us out on lax all stars check us out uh on twitter at in your face lax check us out on any of the platforms we're there uh in the meantime happy new year and good luck in 2017 mm-hmm.